Hey, yeah, it sounds like we're doing this. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Fanatomy Podcast. I'm your host with the most uh, anxiety, Adrian Ash, and I am talking to the most lovely, wonderful person in the whole world, and that is my partner, Nova. And we're going to be talking about My Chemical Romance today, and that is uh, super rad. My conversation with them uh, has been ongoing since pretty much since we got together, but we set aside some time to specifically talk about how they found out about My Chemical Romance and the fact that they are a comic book artist and found MCR through their comic books, which is like not the usual path, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. This is a like super vulnerable personal episode, and I'm just really glad that we've built a cool community with this show of people who just get it. And we don't really have to explain a whole lot. It just, this episode is really special to me. And I really hope everybody likes it. It was a blast talking to my person about their art and their inspiration for that art. Uh, This intro is going to be way longer than any other intro. Because I'm just literally talking about my boyfriend here. And we talk about just everything to do with the whole My Chemical Romance universe, the whole like multiverse that they've created with all their music, how every album is like a different world. And you just get to dive in there and and check it out for a while. We got right into all that and it was really fun. And uh, we ended up discussing a whole lot about Danger Days specifically because that is a very visually driven album. All the music videos tie into the comics, uh, the Killjoys comic, and it was just really neat to hear Nova nerd out about that and just talk to them about their creative inspirations, the things they like to draw. It, It was just a really wonderful chat and i really hope y'all enjoy it if you want to go support their art it's their instagram handle is at vampire cola and you can go check out his stuff go look at uh all the things that he's drawn nova's pronouns are he and they by the way just that's why i'm using a couple different sets but anyway i'm just gonna quit babbling here for a second i'm just i This is a really cool episode, and I really hope everybody likes it. So thank you all so much for supporting the show. If you really like us, please consider sharing on social media, just any platform, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Just uh, share the podcast if you're enjoying it. That would really help us out a lot. Thank you so much. Uh, And we also have a Patreon with some merch there. We have t-shirts and like a coffee mug and stuff and Yeah, some cool stuff over on at the Patreon. So check us out at uh, patreon.com slash fanatomy. And uh, please consider subscribing to the Patreon. We have a post show that I do with every guest called The Green Room, where we just, the main chunk of the episode is uh, talking about music and what inspires us to really dig into that music and the little details that we love about it. And then The Green Room is a show where I just talk to the guest as we would (laughs) in a green room and we can just talk about whatever we want. Abe and I 
uh, talked about each other's songs and talked about just music theory and how weird it is. Uh, Mike Davis and I like dove into each other's songs and dissected them, talked about the inspiration there. Stephanie uh, from Cheap Perfume and I, we... Gosh, we had a really fun Green Room episode. So anyway, please consider checking out the Green Room and our Patreon. And uh, maybe consider leaving us a nice review if you like, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, podcasts, sorry, this is a podcast among many podcasts on any given platform. <laughs> so yeah, consider um, subscribing to the Patreon, leaving a review, sharing it on social media, tell your friends about this show. Let us know who you want to hear booked on this show. If there's anyone in particular you have in mind, please let us know. We're just excited that the platform is just continuing to grow and more people are discovering the show all the time. I'm just, I'm so thrilled about that. And I'm stalling because this is just a very personal episode. So I hope that everyone enjoys hearing me just talk to my person about their favorite band and my like second favorite band. It was really wonderful. And I'm just going to shut up and get to it. This is my conversation with my partner, Nova. Welcome to Fanatomy, the Fanatomy podcast, uh, where we pull stuff apart that we really like and gush about it. Thank you for being a part of my show. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited too. It's going to be fun. Yeah, this is going to be a, a little bit different episode of this show because uh, I usually have musicians on the show and we talk about the music that they make and the musicians that inspired them to make what they make. But this time we have someone who makes visual art, which is a realm that I don't necessarily completely understand. And so it's cool to get to get the chance to pick your brain about what that world is because I create art for the ears and you create art for the eyes. Do you remember the first time you ever drew something that you can remember? What were your earliest experiences with drawing? It's funny because I don't... The first time I drew something, I drew Elmo all over the walls. It's, they're still on the walls at my house. And there's little Elmo faces like two feet up from the ground. I don't remember drawing them. But honestly, yeah, it was early enough at an early enough age where I don't remember the first time I picked up a pencil. I was just drawing on the walls, but maybe around kindergarten or so, like I was doodling in class all the time. The Powerpuff Girls were my favorite. So like it moved from Elmo, like right to the Powerpuff Girls were all I ever drew everywhere with whatever made a mark. If I picked up a rock and it made a mark, I'd draw with that. So yeah. (laughs) So just doing the thing where, you know, it's not really about what you were drawing with. It was just like, I'm going to make mm-hmm. something with the, like a lot of little kids do with like chalk and drawing on the walls and stuff. But you yeah. like, so, and you just kept doing it and mm-hmm. kept being inspired to do it. So I guess as you, as you were a little kid, you were like doing stuff that little kids do with, with drawing and everything. And it's not necessarily about the medium, but as you like, as you got to be like in your teens and, and started figuring out like different things to draw and different like ways to draw things and, and make art, what, what were like the things that you remember drawing like around your, your teenage years? And like, when did you feel like you started coming into your own as a visual artist? I don't think it happened in my teenage years necessarily. My teenage years were just a bunch of 
bouncing around from like art style to art style, figuring out what fit me the best, I guess. I grew up drawing a lot of fan art, so drawing Spider-Man or like I said, the Powerpuff Girls, Teen Titans, a lot of superheroes. I don't think I really found my own style until I went to school in California in 2016, which is fairly recent. It just, it took a long time for me to sit and not overthink what I was doing necessarily. I also didn't have a lot of creative outlets where I'm from, so it was hard to find inspiration, let alone people to draw with or just bounce ideas back and forth. I think I'm still a work in progress to this day. Your art's always changing. Yeah. <laughs> Cool, yeah. And I know that you got a bunch of comic books behind you. That's super rad. We'll get to that. I wanted you to <laughs> hang out in front of your comic book collection. But just for the listeners, uh, can you tell us like where you grew up and, and what that area was like and what your upbringing was like? And yeah, yeah. Tell us about yeah. tell us about where you grew up. Yeah, for sure. I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico. Pretty little like isolated town, but like that's where a good chunk of the Manhattan Project happened, which is revolves around the nuclear bomb. We have a big old statue of Oppenheimer in the middle of town. Whoa. It's, it's weird. <laughs> um, that's where the Los Alamos National Lab is. That being said, the town was very science-oriented. They catered to kids who wanted to graduate to go and eventually work at the lab. It was like, it was hard as like an artist to really thrive in an environment like that. My parents took me and my brother snowboarding quite a bit. We were very like outdoorsy kids and uh yeah i don't know it's it being said with it being such a small town i didn't have a lot of friends in general and the friends that i did have were like you know there's two or three people max at a time but it was just the little the weird little artists or the nerds just like in our own little group just just figuring out how to navigate living in this weird little t- bubble of new mexico yeah i don't <laughs> know really where to go from there. It was just a very interesting town to grow up in. And I had always dreamed of leaving my small town, like a true pop punk main <laughs> character. Yeah, yeah. And you eventually did. Mm-hmm. You went to, you, you told me that you went to, you went to a couple different colleges. What was your like college experience like, especially as specifically a person who wanted to go to art school and learn how to mm-hmm. do art better? Like that, I was always curious about that because you figure if you want to be a doctor, you have to like, you have to study medicine and you have to go to medical mm-hmm. school and all that. If you want to, if you want to play football, you have to learn how to play football. Play football. I, no, that's a bad <laughs> example. But like, you know, specifically with art, yeah. like it's sort of like nobody can teach you how to make your own art. But right. what does a person like you go to art school for and what was that experience like just in general between the the like three different colleges that you went to what was what did you gain from this before going to art school i didn't know what that meant either i I didn't really know what i was jumping into i just knew that everyone told me throughout high school you need to go to college you need to go to college so i was like i'm gonna go to an art college i ended up going to santa fe university of art and design in santa fe new mexico for my first year and that's when I realized art school is mainly about teaching you how to build your portfolio because as far as I know a lot of 
art-related jobs hire you based on what's in your portfolio, not based on the degree that you have. Art schools, the ones that I went to, focused heavily on how to build the portfolio and show them what you can do. Like, this is the kind of art I can do. And uh, the Santa Fe School actually ended up shutting down. And uh, I ended up going to San Francisco to the Academy of Art University, primarily just because I wanted to get out of New Mexico because my family's all over the state and I was just like sick. But like (laughs) San Francisco, I I was looking into that and I was like, I want to move to California. I want to be one of the cool kids. And it was just a great, yeah, (laughs) it was a great opportunity to just learn more about the world in general. Because like I said, I grew up in a town of I think 18,000 people is Los Alamos' population, 70, 18,000. And then I moved to San Francisco, which was just like my whole world was just but in San Francisco I had more of a specific a specific degree. If that makes sense, I had a degree that was specifically for comic books. And so I was going and learning about how to write my script, how to create narratives that are interesting, how to draw a comic book page that flows well visually, as as well as what dialogue is important to utilize in a comic book. So I definitely got, I think, a better visual education there, if that makes sense. They taught me how to build my portfolio for sure, but they also taught me how to how to draw in ways that weren't like, you need to draw like this, but here are some tools to help you create worlds that are believable. But then I couldn't afford to keep going because it was San Francisco and uh, it's expensive. And then I transferred to Colorado State University and I'm not getting the best art to like visual education at Colorado State University by any means, but I've had some really good professors there that just focus more on the portfolio aspect again, how to utilize your art in real world situations, real world, whatever that means, graphic design kind of stuff. But that's been my art school journey so far. I'm still trying to graduate. We're on year five. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it's just about what, even if you weren't ever to get a degree, you still have the lessons mm-hmm. learned. Like you still have that experience. And while your portfolio might not be exactly what you want it to be right now, like you, you now have a bunch of tools that you learned and you can always just build that up. And it it does suck <laughs> paying a bunch of money to go to school and not getting the $300,000 piece of paper or whatever. Right. But at least with art school, you, you learned a bunch of ways to empower yourself as an artist and you can take those tools and build whatever worlds you want with them. Oh, definitely. And even the experiences I had in the different cities I've lived in have influenced a lot. And that's an experience that I never, I don't regret. Even though I'm in a ton of debt, I don't, I know, I got to live in California. (laughs) That was cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've been on like, I've been on tour several times and like, I've never been to California. I'm jealous. That's super cool. That's super rad. I did want to like touch on uh, something specific. I know you're, so you have this. I don't want to say brand or I, I don't know exactly what it's called. I know different artists have different things. Mm-hmm. I'm doing big air quotes here. Jamie Hewlett has like Tank Girl and stuff. And uh, Ray, Raymond Pettibone has the Black Flag art that mm-hmm. he did. Like it's synonymous. And you have this thing. I don't know if it's you. I don't know if it's a world. I don't know if it's a thing in a world. But your Instagram handle is Vampire Cola. 
and mm-hmm. I've seen you screen print and sell merch with Vampire Cola on it. I own some Vampire Cola, and yeah. I just wanted to ask you about Vampire Cola. What is it? Mm-hmm. Where did it come from? What are you trying to say with it? Where do you want to go with it? It comes from a lot of nerdy influences. My obsession with vampires, that's definitely a part of it. I've always been a huge fan of vampires. Like, vampires are cool. I want to be a vampire. That's where that came from. The idea of vampire cola bounced off of the Fallout games. They have a drink called Nuka-Cola, which I was like, this is really cool. This is a fun little take on, like, Coca-Cola, and it's their own little brand within the Fallout universe. It's a post-apocalyptic game, and just like this, you know, Nuka-Cola. I kind of took the idea of a mass-produced carbonated blood drink for vampires. Imagine a world in which, like, Vampires are established as a real thing that exists, and here's how we market towards vampires. I found that whole idea a little fascinating. Let's market towards mythical creatures. That's what it was. It was just like a thing that exists inside a fictional world, but I put the thing in the real world as merchandise. If that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. um, <laughs> that was that was something that I wanted to ask you about too. Is mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of your vampire cola artwork, it's you. You also, I think, it probably came also from Fallout, but like, <laughs> you have this obsession with this retro '50s, retro futurist aesthetic, and I think that comes out in your vampire cola artwork because mm-hmm. you tend to borrow some influence from the '50s while also like incorporating some sarcastic, witty elements to it. And then blending that with vampire culture and just mm-hmm. like you, you have these fun little slogans that you'll use in like 50s looking fonts and stuff. And yeah, I just uh, I, I noticed that. <laughs> and so I think it's a really interesting thing that you incorporate like advertisements and branding into an artistic medium. And I guess I just wanted to, to dig at that a little bit. Yeah, I don't think the obsession with the 50s and 60s art style started with Fallout. It started with The Iron Giant, which was my favorite movie as a kid. Yeah, I think... Great movie. Yeah, it's like visually incredible and I'm so sad that I don't think we've had another film from that company since... Another animated film, at least. But yeah, that was my favorite animated movie Probably to this day, to be honest. I used to watch it on repeat, and that's where I think the obsession with this 1950s look started. Because I think it's really fun. It's really interesting to look at. It's really weird, too. I think it's weird in the way that, like, Norman Rockwell fascinates me because of how bland it is. (laughs) If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's just such a, like stereotypical no it's not exciting i like taking things like that and just making them weird and interesting to look at but yeah that's where the obsession started with and then when i discovered the fallout games like that was perfect for me i just like dove right into the post-apocalyptic version of the 1950s and i love post-apocalyptic movies like mad max is also one of my favorite movies so movie series so yeah (laughs) yeah I love the Iron Giant too, and I'm so glad that you brought that movie up because it's just <laughs> incredible. I see you a lot of the time as Dean. <laughs> That's you, um, definitely, especially like with the coffee. Oh my god! Because nobody, yeah, nobody really knows this about you yet, but you are a coffee fanatic, and I think that comes from partly from being a barista for so long. But yeah, and then uh, I, I I enjoyed when you were talking about just a way that like ads like that it's such an established aesthetic but Mm -hmm. it's also very easy to take 
it just it just calls out for what where can you go with this there's mm-hmm. there this is the aesthetic right and you can draw it's like any other aesthetic and the way you take it it makes you do a double take because like you look at it and you're like oh wow that's a neat ad for wait vampire cola <laughs> oh it's got O positive calories or like type O negative calories. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's incredible. And it's cool because it, upon first glance, a lot of that stuff just looks like the given old school retro ads that we're used to seeing but then you give it a second look and it's got a few layers to it and I always thought that was neat but I think like another thing too with those old ads that you what wasn't uncommon to see were ads like for cigarettes mm-hmm. or like for certain kinds of drugs that like aren't okay today yeah. but like they were legit ads back then I think that's another fascinating aspect of that kind of advertising it's fun to play with because yeah because yeah. you're it's a morally ambiguous world yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, it's fun. A monument to like weird 50s. Uh, uh, it's like some collection of retro futurist oxymorons where everything was about values and the family and morals and stuff. But mm-hmm. then it's buy these brand of cigarettes. They have the best flavor. And it's it's I think that's also part of what's neat about that, about specifically vampire cola is just like accepting the fact that these uh, <laughs> the time that those style of ads were popular was a backwards time in society. And we're still in backwards time as society. But when you were talking about how you could sell drugs, <laughs> like I remember there was like seeing an ad for some elixir and it was just like made with real heroin and like just stuff like that. And uh, you could sell cigarettes and and things like that. Soon, I think maybe 50 years in the future, we'll be like looking back on all these Super Bowl like Budweiser ads and being like, wow, they really used to just advertise poison during the biggest (laughs) television event of the year. (laughs) I can't believe they got away with that. Yeah, (laughs) I wasn't really going anywhere specific with that. But I I know that you mentioned uh, Norman Rockwell earlier and how it is so bland and so boring. And it's, but it's also in a way, Norman Rockwell is the American dream. And to borrow from Carlin for a second, it's the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. And the thing about that is you did, for everyone who doesn't know, which is pretty much everybody but me, you did a whole Norman Rockwell-inspired collection of art that I thought was really neat where you took Norman Rockwell paintings and deconstructed them and used the exact same elements and positioning but made them into post-apocalyptic nightmares and it was awesome because Norman Rockwell is like the idealized white suburban utopian America that like people right-wingers love to just like just worship but I I thought that collection you did was really cool and I was just wondering if you could speak on that for a second. Yeah, thank you. First of all, that was a really fun project to do. His art had always really fascinated me, primarily because of just how, like you said, it's the American dream. It's so bland and it's so, you could slap it on any magazine cover, specifically any conservative magazine cover, and they'd be like, yes, this is the stuff. Ah, His characters don't really seem to have a care in the world. And if it is, then it's, is she going to ask me out to the dance? And that's like the most extreme care. I took three separate Norman Rockwell paintings and decided to just 
replicate the character's behavior. They're just how they don't seem to notice the outside world or what's going on around them and just place them in, like you said, a post-apocalyptic nightmare with like trash and like robots and broken things and just like this kind of disgusting world. But like the characters still retain the attitudes that they have in Norman Rockwell's paintings. Just to explore like what it would look like to put those characters elsewhere, if that makes sense. To just use the scenes that he used to make them abnormal, make them as strange as I can possibly make them, but yet recognizable as a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah, and that must have been like a fun challenge because you got to keep, you get like, it's, you kept the positions of everything in the same place. You just changed Literally everything and also nothing at the same time, which is kind of neat. But I think in swapping out the context of what was it like? It was like a a little kid on top of a pile of trash or something like what? Can you describe visually um, the layouts for like people listening? Yes, I really wish that I could remember the exact names of all three paintings. There was one where I think it's like getting ready for the day, something along those lines. The woman looking in a mirror, brushing her hair and a little girl hanging out with her. So I redrew that of a woman like brushing her hair on top of a huge trash pile with a kid standing behind her that's like starving. (laughs) It was just a weird little imagery of that. There was another one in a diner where there's, I think it's after the prom might've been the name of that um, painting, but there's like a boy and a girl and like the guy that works the diner and the three of them are at a bar and I drew them again, surrounded by a bunch of trash and smog and like, The girl's wearing a trash bag dress, but they all retain the same facial expressions that they had in the original painting. The third painting, no, those were the two paintings. I didn't finish the third one. I had a third one in my head, but I didn't didn't finish it. (laughs) Whoops. Those two were the two that I finished. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I remember you showing me those and thinking that they were really cool because swapping out the context of two people sitting in a bar after sitting in a diner after a prom and it's the original context is just oh isn't that cute there's a dude working the soda hop and these two kids mm. are having a milkshake or something but the context that you put it into change it and like completely changes the attitude of what the work is saying because instead mm-hmm. of just wow isn't this peachy keen because we have so much privilege and don't have any problems it's uh wow isn't right. this peachy keen like everything sucks everywhere else but here in this diner with me and you things are okay that's what i got yeah. from it yeah i love that you got that from it. it i presented it to the class that i was in at the time and everyone seemed to have either a somewhat of an idea like yours either that or they were like this is about climate change specifically and I was like it definitely encompasses a lot of those topics I'm not going to say it's not about climate change because for sure it's like addressing the ignorance in those old paintings and just this is where it's going but I also didn't want to make it on the nose about climate change specifically because it's like I said putting those characters in existing as they are in a world like the one I drew yeah And you, and like climate change, of course, plays a part in it. And Mm -hmm. there's clearly. Yeah. Oh, am I good then? Okay. All right. That better? Am am I audible? Sorry, no. Okay. Okay, cool. All right. We'll just roll with this. And it's probably going to cut out here and there, but we'll just have to be patient with it. Yeah. It's fine. All right.
<laughs> That's okay. But I guess uh, I'm going to call attention to the comic books behind you. We'll get into comics real quick and then we'll segue that into MCR. Cool. All right. So Slate. Yeah. And uh, I, I noticed that you're sitting, not sitting, you're sitting in your chair in front of a collection of comic books behind you. I know that we talked about uh, comics earlier in uh, in the episode, but I was just wondering if you could maybe tell me a little bit about the comic books behind you and describe for people listening that aren't seeing video right now, what comic books are behind you, why you've collected them, what sort of stuff you're into. This isn't my whole comic book collection. I think a good majority of it is with my parents in New Mexico, but I have, let's see, I got some, I got Ghost Rider, I got Judge Dredd, um, Umbrella Academy, Doom Patrol, and Killjoys up on the wall. That Ghost Rider comic is one of the first comics I think I ever got. But my, I guess start, I guess start out with like my love for comics because like I can go from there. Um, I picked up a comic book at an antique store when I was little. It was a 1996 Ghost Rider a comic book I think and I grabbed like a bunch of them because I was like "Ooh, this guy with the flaming skull looks really cool and that definitely sparked my joy for comic books I was always into superheroes because growing up like I said I was really into the Powerpuff Girls really into Teen Titans and the Justice League animated series Spider-Man movies of course Tobey Maguire incredible of course but yeah uh so ghost Rider was the first time i actually sat down and picked up a comic book and read it and from there i would just kind of i was obsessed with comic books one of my favorites has been watchmen for sure i think that's that's a required read for comic books and graphic novels gosh i'm at like a loss for all my favorite books but i guess the ones behind me three series are written by gerard way because he's an incredible comic book writer and he's also an incredible artist and they're so strange too like the worlds that gerard way created with um, umbrella academy it's such a weird world because it's vaguely familiar, but then you have these two characters named Cha-Cha and Hazel that have like animal heads on them and they are like hunting people down. And the whole premise of it is just so strange. And I really latched on to that really like odd way of thinking. It's like in Doom Patrol, there's an entire world inside of an ambulance, which like Whoa. makes no sense but like it does once you start reading it that's just a fact of the world that exists there's not really an explanation but this is just what it is very strange comics like that have always just grabbed my attention i wish i had all my comics in front of me as i'm like <laughs> blinking on all of the ones that i love there's so many no no that's great uh, <laughs> oh my god! i remember a second ago when you were talking about the ambulance uh the world inside mm -hmm. of an ambulance i love that because it's a commentary on what is or isn't allowed to to exist in comic mm -hmm. books and stuff and comic books themselves are they're a really weird medium because it's like somewhere between a movie and a book and and it's all print and everything but there's just so much that you can do with a graphic novel a graphic novel or a comic book that you can't do with other mediums and there's some comic books where there you open up a page and there's just eight pages that fold out and there's this epic panel yeah. of art and stuff and sandman the sandman comics are absolutely beautiful and there is one part of the book that I don't think would have translated as well on TV or just within written word because you flip the page and it's just total blackness. And like you said, you pull the pages out and it's just like this cosmic imagery, just 
across this huge blank space. And the feeling of physically opening up the book is a key part of the experience in the book, which is so cool. That is why I'm obsessed with comics, because you can do so much stuff with them. That's just such a, like you said, it's that in-between of a movie or a TV show and a book. And the combination of the two of them, just like this pure form of visual storytelling. Yeah. And there's, you could say that about a few different types of art, but it's Mm -hmm. the art that actively engages itself with the person consuming it and just forces them to participate. I, I always think that stuff is so cool. There's certain music you can put on in the background or like the office you can put on in the background and just laugh at stuff. <laughs> but like they're the art that demands your attention and demands your engagement. I always find really fulfilling to, to check out because there's just something there that I can't get on my own that someone has taken the time to, to create and say, look at this challenge yourself what am I trying to do here? What do you take from this? What meaning have you mm. taken that I didn't necessarily intend to put there? And you could say that about a lot of different types of art. I'm getting into the weeds, but yeah, I sure. liked what you were saying <laughs> about like the physical act of reading this book is part of mm-hmm. the book. And I, th- mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. So you were talking about comic books and I know that, uh, sorry, I got some makeups, uh, but I, I know that uh, you really dig comic books and you, you were talking about how Ghost Rider was the first one that you really found and then Spider-Man mm-hmm. and stuff. And I definitely can relate. Like I was never really into comics. It was more into like movies and video games because like it, it's a little bit more stimulating for me because I don't have to read things. I just get to be a part of a, a, an experience. But I did want to ask you a little bit about your comics specifically. And uh, I I have, and I'm going to talk about one in particular because I'm sitting literally directly in front of it. There's a collection of works that uh, is behind me that our listeners aren't going to be able to see. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) there is a character that you created named Emerson. And Mm -hmm. I love Emerson, but I think that... uh, Emerson's kind of a a unique concept. So I wanted to ask you about Emerson and where that idea came from. And if you think that you'll ever make Emerson into a a further project, like what is there any more stuff in store for Emerson? First of all, just who is Emerson? What's what's this? Emerson is a grim reaper who wants to quit his job. (laughs) That is that's just the soul aspect of his story he just he hates what he does and the thing that complicates his story is that first of all he talks to god through a television set you have to wait in line you have to grab a number before you can go and talk to god and when you're in there you only get five minutes max with him but for a reaper to quit you become a grim reaper in this world you become a grim reaper and you accept this sort of terms of agreement where this is your afterlife if you forfeit being a grim reaper you will cease to exist completely so emerson's story is that he is terrified of that but he also just hates what he does (laughs) Because he's he's taken too many people, what he believes is way too soon. He's seen so many things he just can't handle. He's also bored. He's just kind of like, this is just, this sucks. His nine to five every day, he's just like, I can't do this. That's who Emerson is. And uh, I might take that further. He's 
definitely one of my favorite characters I've created. I wish I've written more for him. He's just uh, just existing in limbo for right now, but I'd love to write more on him at some point, maybe even make something full length. Because I think what you have behind you is only like four pages, five pages. It's five panels right here, or five yeah. pages. Yeah, but I'd, I'd love to... I'd love to draw his story further because he's really fun to write about. Also, just like, drawing old television sets is a very weird thing that I enjoy doing. I don't understand why. But... Like mystical sort of about the old tube TVs, you know? Yeah. Like, uh... yeah, like this, the static, the weird colors and like the, the dials. It's cool. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I, was, when I was a kid, we had one of those and it had the little screw in input for the antenna. And I, I remember like when you turned it off, there would be like a red and blue and green streak like down the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you could feel the static on it when you touched it. And I, I always thought that was neat. But then also it's like the bridge between the analog world and the digital world where you've got these signals coming through into a little box that has some like vacuum tubes in it that project an image onto some pixels and it's just this weird technology the fact that like radio signals go out and then they're interpreted by an antenna that is then broadcast to your tv like it's not a big stretch to be like what if there was like like what if uh the reaper co inc uh, was able to reach out to its grim reaper employees through random televisions and just talk to them like truman show style anytime i think that's a cool idea how god or death or whoever just shows up on any random tv <laughs> and talks to and talks to emerson i love that you included uh the the bureaucracy of it like the Kafka, the kafka-esque <laughs> part of the whole thing where it was like you have to there's this there's this joke that i saw on the internet a, a couple of years back that was like the i love you is the most is the lie that's told the most often and then somebody else reblogged it and was like no the most often told lie is i have read and agreed to all the terms and conditions <laughs> and so yeah you know i i thought that it was uh uniquely funny yeah. that like not only is this dude a grim reaper with all the spiritual stuff that's got rolled into it but he also is a grim reaper who like even in death cannot escape the hell of bureaucracy yeah <laughs> Yeah, just getting. I kind of uh, I pulled a little bit of that idea from the Preacher comics, and Preacher is an incredibly weird and fascinating world of uh, just like there's heaven, the Holy Grail is like this organized corporation of heaven, and God's disappeared, and like it's a there's a random (laughs) Irish vampire that just goes along for the ride. Random bisexual, a random bisexual. Irish vampire. The TV show is also fantastic. There's definitely differences between the two of them. But yeah, I think watching and reading that kind of sparked the idea for Emerson, as well as The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Yeah, yeah. It was one of my favorite shows when I was little. So, like a mix of that, but yeah. (laughs) So, like a mundane, uh, mundane, like dark humor version of something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. And like purgatory is a bar. (laughs) Everyone just kind of goes and hangs out. Yeah. (laughs) You want to come on down to purgs? (laughs) We're going to have a couple of ethers. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. super rad. But I, I did uh, circling back to just the larger picture of comic books in general. You have a lot of comic books behind you, specifically by Gerard Way, and I wanted to just dig into that because it segues into exactly why we are here. Uh, so if you want to just 
lead us into who Gerard Way is and uh, the people who are going to listen to this are going to know who he is. But yeah, so just tell me about the comics that you found that Gerard Way made and uh, what... I think I should start this with Becky Cloonan, actually, before talking about Gerard Way because, uh, you know, like I've said a million times, I was a nerd. I was in the comic books. Becky Cloonan happens to be the first woman to illustrate a published Batman comic. And I remember reading that a long time ago and I was like, she's so badass. Damn. And I ended up looking into... Becky Cloonan's works. She rose. She was the illustrator for a collection of comics called Demo, which are incredible. She also illustrated The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys, which Gerard Way wrote. And I was a little late to the My Chemical Romance party, but I was also like 13 when Danger Days came out and still heavily obsessed with YouTube. Like I said, it wasn't cool. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I think around that time I discovered the Killjoys comics and I was like, whoa, this is really neat. I think I've seen that little spider somewhere before, the little spider design that was on the comics and uh, looked up Gerard Way and ended up discovering My Chemical Romance through those comics. And I've been obsessed ever since. (laughs) Yeah, and that's super Uh, awesome. And uh, I think it's worth mentioning, and people are going to find this pretty funny, I hope, but uh, that (laughs) spider design appears on the front cover of a record called Danger Days, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys by a band called My Chemical Romance that I fell in love with uh, in like summer 2012, I want to say like late fall 2011, summer 2012 was when I like really fell in love with that record. And uh, it was a beautiful time in my life. Uh, And around that time, I got this super sick spider tattoo mm-hmm. of that exact spider from that record and uh later on uh uh you yeah you you and i have the same tattoo <laughs> basically and uh we didn't like i don't know when you knew that i had the tattoo but it was just funny <laughs> how like you ended up getting it and i already had it and mm-hmm. by chance it happened and i thought that was cool mm-hmm. becky clunan des- de- designed that spider yes fun fact <laughs> yeah yeah, that spider's cool, and uh, obviously it looks super cool. It's I think it's like one of the most iconic pieces of imagery that they ever had associated with them, which is you got the two heads from Three Cheers, and then you got the Black Parade dude that's on literally on your lanyard. <laughs> it's a pretty pretty iconic piece of that era, but the Danger Days spider just looks, in my opinion, it's the most badass album artwork that they ever had and uh yeah i just thought it was cool that we have the same tattoo but yeah so since you bring up my chemical romance and gerard way and danger days i thought that we could just dive into that and uh so you discovered let's pick up where we left off you discovered my chemical romance and through the killjoys comic and uh yeah just jumping off point danger days the true lives of the fabulous killjoys take it away Oh my gosh. Like I said, I was late to the My Chemical Romance party, but Danger Days, I thought, was so cool because it's a universe that has a comic book as well as several music videos that are also part of the world that the comic book creates. And I know the comic book didn't come out until a couple years after the album came out, but even the album's visuals and characters like Party Poison, Fun Ghoul, Cobra Kid, Jetstar, like... 
the characters are interesting and it encapsulates California 2019. What is this post-apocalyptic world going to look like? And where that album was released in 2010. Days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So California yeah. 2019 was a futuristic prediction at the time that it was released. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely pulled from Blade Runner as well. Oh, totally. But yeah, yeah, I think I, I just fell in love with the music because I was like, this is the coolest concept to have an album, a comic book and music videos that are all part of the same universe and building up upon these characters that both emulate real life stories, but they're like, still so strange. And there's Battery City which is one of the locations. Destroy Ya, which is one of the songs on Danger Days, is actually a giant robot in the comic books. But yeah, I think like after discovering that, I went to the, the local bookstore, which also had music in it, which shut down, sad days. But I went and I picked up all the rest of the copies of my Chemical Romance albums that they had. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been ridiculously obsessed ever since they're incredible (laughs) yeah and i am so happy to hear you say the words ridiculously obsessed because that is the kind of energy that i'm trying to attract (laughs) to this show and and i knew that you would love to just sit here and talk with me about my chemical romance for eons because they're Mm -hmm. your favorite (laughs) band and i think they're number two for me, I think they're yeah. firmly planted in the number two spot. And uh, the favorite band of all time is Jimmy Eat World. I'm probably going to say that every damn episode. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> the uh, the Killjoys record, fuck. I remember, so fun fact about that record, I remember hating it. I remember hating <laughs> it when it first came out. Because the first thing I heard was like summer 2011 and i was working at a resort doing a deep clean on like a condo unit or something and uh sing came on the radio and i was like what Mm. is this like where are these why are there what are these drum samples and drum machines doing on my punk rock rant my punk rock band song and i just i hated it so much because it was new and different and challenging that's how we are as humans Mm -hmm. but i definitely remember hating it And it was one of the few albums, like one of a few, like several albums that I remember just not liking at first. And then I kept listening to it and kept listening to it. And I kept coming back Mm -hmm. to it. And I was like, okay, there's a lot to love about this record. And once you get past like the fact that a couple of songs have some like digital drums and synths and dance beats and shit on there, I think that it's incredibly inspiring It's such an incredibly inspiring record to me as an artist. And this is why I decided to get the tattoo is because that record opened a door for me. It opened a door for me to stop taking myself so damn seriously and to try new things because a revelation that I had one time was it's still the same people besides Bob. Fuck Bob. And we can say Bob, the former drummer of My Chemical Romance, is a shitbag because he's like a racist and all the fans hate him. And I feel just... like you can make a whole podcast on Bob just like... Yeah, but we're not because no. he doesn't deserve that. We're not. That. We're not. No. Great drummer, though. <laughs> I will give him that. He had, he's a great drummer yeah. and he looked cool in the Black Parade era. Whatever. But he... Anyway, uh, I remember hating the Killjoys record at first, but then realizing that they were just they were the same band and they were just using different tools to express themselves mm-hmm. they were they were still the same punks the same loud raucous band but like they they just weren't 
confined to the conventions that we as musicians often find ourselves confined in. I strongly over the years have resisted the idea of ever having any like electronic elements in my music because I just didn't want them to be there. And but I I think a lot of that was just like the fear of the unknown and like Mm -hmm. the hesitant nature of protecting your art and not wanting to pollute it into something that isn't you. That record kicked down a door for me to challenge the way I thought about music and just say, you know, it, well, if they can put digital drums and, and synthesizers and dance beats on a record, then I can do whatever the fuck I want. I can do whatever I can do. I can do whatever I want. And like that, that was the biggest like rush of relief. And then a couple of years later, I ended up realizing I was trans and transitioning. And I think that had, I, I think the the liberation that I got from an album like Danger Days and a band like MCR and a person like Gerard, it definitely played a role in that just because in general, it was just all about creativity and seeing what happens and allowing things to come in that don't necessarily feel comfortable or normal or natural to you and just giving them a chance. And so I, that album changed my life and uh, I didn't realize how much it changed my life until I'm sitting here talking about it, but I'm really glad that album exists, even though it ended up being created as a result of them throwing away one of my favorite records. Um, oh, one of your favorite records and that that isn't talked about nearly as much as it should be. <laughs> yeah, and before we oh dive into that, I do want to mention you you talked about Blade Runner a second ago in relation to mm-hmm. Danger Days. And I, I vaguely remember watching like an interview with Gerard or something and he was talking about how Blade Runner was just like constantly playing in the studio on a TV. <laughs> and they like, it was part of the inspiration of the record. I just remember that had to throw that in (laughs) um uh danger days so there's a gap if you're a my chemical romance fan you knew that there was a gap so they put out bullets in 2001 and then i brought you my bullets you brought me your love right that's Mm -hmm. or yeah that's the right yeah okay and then there's uh three cheers for sweet revenge in i think 2004 and then after that in 2006 there was the black parade and then we didn't get another mcr album for around four years, but that doesn't mean that they weren't making things in that time. It just means that they uh, (laughs) had to do some stuff. So I wanted to ask you about the most underrated rock and roll album of all time, in my opinion, (laughs) Conventional Weapons by My Chemical Romance, a criminally underrated and never talked about record that they didn't Mm -hmm. even dignify with a full LP release. They just broke it up into a bunch of singles. I'll never forgive them. But like, uh, yeah, so let's talk about Conventional Weapons. Can you tell me what you know about it? Let's jump right in. Oh my gosh. Like you said, it was a scrapped concept before Danger Days came around. And you can hear lyrics and um, melodies that they took from conventional weapons and used in Danger Days. Uh, Gosh, the first time I heard it, I think it was like a suggestion on YouTube. And I was already just like diving into my My MyChem obsession. I was like, there's a song I haven't heard. What? Why isn't this advertised anywhere? Why don't I see this on their album list? And, uh... Yeah, Conventional Weapons is... I'm sad that not more people have heard it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a Um, great record. 
It really is. It's a lot more, it's a lot less storytelling than I'm used to with my chemical romance because with all of their albums, there seems to be an overarching story or concept behind it, whereas conventional weapons seems to be more of a, uh, while storytelling doesn't inherently mean it's not personal because there's definitely so much, so many personal aspects to all the other albums, conventional weapons felt a little more raw. Yep. I think, which was what makes it so unique and incredible as an album. I'm just thinking about the songs now. I'm just like reminiscing. But <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I like that you said that it's a little bit more raw and doesn't have as much like storytelling too, because Gerard probably could have written a story into those lyrics. Like he could have sure. like built a backstory, a mythos. He could have um, made a graphic novel that accompanied the record. Because they do have some thematic elements to them. I, I like that I like that there wasn't really much to that. It's just a really great record, just a really great collection of songs. And uh, the order was perfect too, like just the track listing on it. It's a bummer that they never released it as a full concise record with the 10 songs included on one vinyl. I I want that more than anything in the world. But musically, so musically and just creatively in general, I think uh they were exhausted after the Black Parade because when we and you and I talked about how we didn't really want to dive too much into the Black Parade with this thing because that's mm-hmm. that album has been picked apart and analyzed to death. And I think that fact is exactly why they did what they did with conventional weapons, because Gerard was talking, as you can tell, listener, I've definitely watched an interview or two with Gerard Way. It's almost like I'm autistic and they're one of my special interests or something. But yeah, uh, I watched a ton of interviews with MCR and uh, Gerard was talking about how the world of the Black Parade was really cool and really complex and really detailed. But there's the pro of that is it's such a beautiful, interesting, dynamic story. Mm-hmm. But the con of that is trying to fit everything that you're inspired by into that world. And Gerard was right. talking about how that world felt very confined and that there were a lot of rules and there like he was writing about how he felt, but he had to arrange it into this narrative. And I think they pulled it off incredibly well. That's definitely their biggest album and it's very well respected and for good reason. It's an incredible record. After that, they were just exhausted with this big, grand storytelling stuff and they just wanted to rock and that's what that's what i love about conventional weapons is there's no storyline to follow there's no i got sent to hell and then i gotta go collect a thousand souls so i can please the devil and be with my love or something like that was a very cliff notes version of three cheers (laughs) there's no grand story that you gotta try to pay attention to it's just like 10 songs that rock real hard And just creatively, both creatively and musically, it's way more stripped down and to the point. And because of that, it rocks harder. And not to say that any of their other records rock any less hard, but (laughs) Conventional Weapons is very much a hard rock record. And it's they did away with a lot of the effects there weren't as many, if any, like there weren't any like digital elements to it. There, there wasn't, it was just 
a five piece punk band playing their instruments, writing songs, doing what they're good at, writing beautiful, catchy pop punk rock songs. And uh, and then the video for Desolation Row was, I think, yeah. my that conventional weapons Desolation Row era is my favorite MCR era just because of how stripped down and punk rock they looked. And uh, if you've ever seen the video for Desolation Row, they're all in leather jackets playing beat up guitars. And I think Gerard looks like he got punched in the face or something. And a couple of them got some cut. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. He looked hot. <laughs> they, all, they all did. He's um, what I wanted still want to look like. Yes. <laughs> yeah, totally. That video was killer. And uh, I remember yeah. around that time, because in my personal life, I, I didn't really like the Black Parade as much at the time. I, I discovered it retroactively, really. And I, I heard the singles at the time, but everyone I knew was into it. So I was just like, yeah, I can't <laughs> like things that are popular. I'm 16. But yeah, I I, uh, I remember watching the Desolation Row video and uh, getting to hear conventional weapons and just thinking, oh, OK, I guess this band rules. <laughs> I guess they're punk as fuck. And uh, Desolation Row came out and that was like around the time that they were making conventional weapons. But conventional mm -hmm. weapons didn't get released until 2013 because they shelved that record and started from scratch and borrowed some elements from it for Danger Days. But conventional weapons is such a a punchy record with catchy songs and yeah i know i've been talking for <laughs> eons about this record but it's uh it's one of my favorite yeah. records of all time and just the fact that we get to sit here and talk about it is really cool yeah, yeah. any other thoughts on conventional weapons that you want to <laughs> that you want to share honestly i think you touched on all the points about it i for me personally i think i've gravitated more towards the very storytelling story heavy albums of MCR, but that's primarily because of my visual storytelling upbringing. My comic mm -hmm. book obsessed ass is just, yes, all the stories, but I think there's something to definitely be appreciated and loved about something like conventional weapons existing. Like you said, it's a just, it's so underrated. Like everyone should go listen to it like immediately. <laughs> yeah. And especially yeah. songs like, and what makes me so sad is there were some true anthems on that record, like Ambulance. Mm -hmm. Like I can just mm. picture a stadium full of people screaming along to Ambulance and uh, just songs like that. And The World is Ugly, wonderful mm -hmm. song. That's, that's, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so Conventional Weapons is a great record. That's all, that's what we were trying to say with that whole spiel there. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Conventional Weapons, great record. Danger Days, great record. We haven't really touched on Three Cheers. Uh, do you? I know that's another story-heavy record, but I don't know too much about it other than this dude pissed off the devil and like now has to do something to like collect. I think a thousand souls. It's Three Cheers. I think in comparison to like the Black Parade and Danger Days, isn't as story-heavy because you can still listen to it without knowing what the concept was behind it. But you can. Definitely pick up on that with a music video for Elena. Also, all the music videos for Three Cheers don't really seem to connect to the overarching story, at least in my opinion. I think they can if you really look into them. But like, I'm not okay. Helena, the ghost of you all have very different visuals and like concepts to the videos. But like Three Cheers era was is probably my favorite, like aesthetically 
Mm-hmm. Three cheers. I had, it was like picking up on like the vampire thing. It was, it's black and red and got lots of roses and funerals and like the visuals of it are incredible. It's also, I think it got a majority of my favorite songs on Three Cheers. Okay, no, I have favorite songs from all the albums, but... We'll get to that. <laughs> God. Yeah, but Three Cheers. Ah, gosh, I don't know where to really go with that. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. It's fine if you don't. It's a great record, and uh, they don't make they don't make bad stuff. But one thing I did just think about just now, when we were talking about Danger Days, there was something that happened in Danger Days that we haven't talked about yet that... I didn't even know about <laughs> until you uh, showed was, me. So I wanted yeah. to ask you about, uh, is it the Mad Gear and Missile Kid or is it yep. just Mad Gear yep. and Missile Kid? Uh, the Mad Gear and Missile Kid is a three song EP that Mike Chem released as. So the Mad Gear and Missile Kid is the name of the band, which is essentially My Chemical Romance playing as the Mad Gear and Missile Kid, which is a band that exists in the Killjoys universe. So they made three songs that you can actually listen to. And I think you can only really find them on YouTube. Um, They're terrible quality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Jimmy Urine from Mindless Self-Indulgence helped out with those three recordings. So there's definitely a huge Mindless Self-Indulgence vibe to the three of them, which is cool because it's like an MSI MCR mashup but yeah i was so excited to like flex with my one talking to you but my favorite songs but i think just the concept of them is super cool like the fact that it's a fictional band like essentially it's like my chem's version of gorillas yeah and yeah. you know it's also kind of neat because msi and my chem got to like collaborate on a couple of songs and it was very low pressure mm-hmm. because they're a fictional band that exists in a fictional world but it's kind of cool because uh isn't gerard married to the bass player of msi yeah Lindsay. yeah i remember there was yeah. this this <laughs> really cute picture of Lindsay rocking out on stage with her bass with a mindless self-indulgence. And then in the background, you can see like backstage, Gerard is holding their child bandit and pointing, wearing some sunglasses and his mouth's open. And they both, the little kids got these like big old earmuffs on and like, you know, pointing to, to mommy on stage as if to say, that's your mommy out there. She's rocking out. And and I just, (laughs) ah, God, so cute. cute. heart but i i wanted to ask you because i know that we're getting getting near the end of the episode uh which by the way side note on that uh stick around everybody there's an episode of the green room coming up that's uh our uh a special thing that we do for the people who support us on patreon so if you dig this show and you just want a little bit more from me and a guest the green room is a place where we go to talk about whatever we want it's pulling back the curtain on what kinds of conversations take place in green rooms at venues and stuff yeah this is the the serious talk show and then we kind of goof off in the green room and and talk about like different things music and stories and uh just that's where we hang out as friends but if you want to support us on patreon and please do uh you can get access to the green room and uh yeah, so that's that. The green room's cool. Thank you, patrons, for subscribing to our Patreon. You are how we do what we do, and that's fucking rad of you. Thank you. But 
Anyway, so you and I were talking about My Chemical Romance. We've been talking about My Chemical Romance for this for a good chunk of this episode because that's why we're here. And I know that this is uh, maybe a little bit of an easier question than some other artists, but just because there are so many distinct eras. But do you have a favorite MCR era? You could say that it's favorite album, but... It doesn't necessarily have to be the album because you can love a set of songs, but not love the era as much. But anyway, I just wanted to ask, do you have a favorite album or era from them? Is it weird if they're di- two different answers? <laughs> um, it's, it's an abstract question. <laughs> yeah, I have to say Danger Days is my favorite album. I, I don't. I wouldn't say it's my favorite Musically, but I think it's because of the sentiment behind Danger Days, it being what really drove my my love for My Chemical Romance. It's the comic book that came with it. Danger Days just gives me that warm, fuzzy feeling. That That's where it all started for me, specifically. My favorite era, though, is probably Three Cheers. Yeah, like, it's just so... You know, we were talking about how I love vampires earlier. It's that perfect accumulation of vampires and like gritty like it's still kind of they're still getting used to not used to being a band necessarily the rawness of bullets but without the refined nature of the black parade it's that little in between where they're starting to become more refined but they're not quite black parade territory but they're a lot better than they were in bullets and also like aesthetically gerard's makeup and frank's little x'd out eyes and like the ties and the suits like it's a good it's a good aesthetic <laughs> yeah the artwork looks that really came cool. from that yeah gerard did the artwork too for the cover of three cheers and that artwork is some of my favorite that's been depicted throughout their career yeah so. i i remember the first time ever seeing the video for i'm not okay and just thinking the entire time <laughs> okay what's the movie like when can i see this movie this movie looks awesome <laughs> <laughs> the video is is a movie trailer and i just remember thinking that was like in like super creative but yeah uh that's a really cool answer and i'm glad that you answered in that way because there's just so much going on in the danger days world that's there to appreciate but the era mm-hmm. of three cheers whenever they were still <laughs> touring in a van and on the warp tour <laughs> trying to trying to make a name for themselves having something to prove full of piss yeah. and vinegar i love that era too yeah if i was only ever able to see one concert from my chem i think it would have been at that little bridge between bullets and three cheers where it mm-hmm. would have been like intimate enough where i could have maybe talked to them or just being in a small area with them and right. just can you just imagine the energy of that crowd it'd be so fun not that I'd never turn down a ticket to my chem now. Don't get me wrong. Right. I would love to see them in a huge arena too. But like, yeah, I think there's something special about the Three Cheers era for sure. For sure. I usually ask people if they have a single favorite MCR song, but I, or a single favorite song. But mm-hmm. I know that's so mean for MCR fans. So what yeah. I'm going to do is we're going to go album for album. And I want you to tell me your favorite song, starting with Bullets. Oh, why'd you do this to me? Okay. Oh, okay. I'm just going to say the first one that comes to mind, Our Lady of Sorrows from Bullets. I always really loved because I like the 
imagery around that and also just how the song kind of feels like it speeds up especially in live version the song feels like it speeds up and it's just so fun and mm-hmm. like punk rock and you gotta stop me from naming the rest of the songs on bullets so i think we'll just yeah so our lady of sorrows uh from three cheers that's hard i know it's super mean oh that is so mean i don't know if i can really pick a single one from three cheers thank you for the venom probably yeah yeah probably i'm thinking of all of them simultaneously let's talk about thank you for the venom that intro guitar line though like it just Mm -hmm. pulls you right in and you're just like this is cool (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah that's definitely a very like rock and roll like heavy metal guitar line you could tell like ray toro listened to a lot of metallica growing up because he's got the chops dude like frank is the punk rock kid i could just see the two of them in the studio uh and like writing that song and ray's okay yeah so i got this thing and he's i could just see frank looking at him with this blank stare yeah i'm not playing that (laughs) i'm gonna do the accents (laughs) so yeah, I, I love that song. That's a great pick. Okay, Black Parade. Where where are you Black going? Black Parade. Mama. Yeah, yeah, Mama, I think, is my favorite. I've, I've heard you say before it was your least favorite off of the Black Parade. I always that was always just Call it. me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've changed my my thoughts on it. I uh I dig it. It's cool. Uh, I think it was more of one of those things that I, I didn't like it because everybody else liked it, which is a silly way to be. Uh, but yeah, it's, that's a cool song. What do you love about it? What what sticks out? What makes it your favorite above the rest? I think Gerard's like weird way of speaking in it. It's such a it's such an odd song. And I mean that in the best kind of way, because you have that that beat that's just like do, 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 yeah. right and him screaming mama i think also the idea of just like the fires of hell and screaming like mom i'm sorry i'm going to hell that whole concept is really neat the live version on the black parade is dead i have always loved more than like the actual recording because of how weird gerard says mama and screams it and just like bloody screaming like bloody murder with it yeah i don't know i listened to that song a lot through high school i think like of all the black parade songs i just i replayed mama over and over again and i remember listening to it in class all the time i just it's a fun song it's a weird song it's heartbreaking funny yeah it's got that weird like blend of it's a very emotionally intense song but it's also mm-hmm. like <laughs> campy and goofy and like, funny Right, it came out of yeah, because th- it it came out of a dare to write a polka, <laughs> but it came yeah. out so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but I think uh, something of note for that song is it's a lot of trans people love that song because I think it for me personally when I hear those lyrics it's a trans anthem like just just the the lyric of you should have raised a baby girl I should have been a better son Mm. there's this confused sense of would I would life be better if I had been born another gender than the one that I was Mm. forced to present my whole life I definitely clung on to that in high school without knowing for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad that you said that because that line specifically, as a non-binary uh, person, and I mentioned before, I'd always wanted to look like Gerard Way. <laughs> this is definitely some, that lyric struck home with me. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. 
for sure. And it's it took me a while to warm up to that song, and I get it now. I really do, and I love it. It's still not my favorite on the record, but I don't dislike it at all. I love it. I think my personal favorite on that record, and it's just going to... I hate to... Why do I hate to say it's the single? Whatever. The single is great. Well, That's why it's the single. the singles are but... great for a reason. I think there's no shame in loving the singles. Yeah, and this yeah. whole show is about how there should never be a shame to love something unless it's like super problematic and gross but that that's why we're here is to shamelessly love the things that we love and uh yeah so mama is a great song but i will say my favorite on the black parade is welcome to the black parade nothing Um, wrong with that it's an incredible song and what i love about it is you can throughout the whole record you can hear the queen and freddie mercury influence that gerard was diving into but with that song in particular Like that song, and this is going to get me in some hot water with people, or maybe it won't. This is, in my opinion, the least controversial emo pop punk take ever. But that song is the millennial Bohemian Rhapsody. That song is not just the emo Bohemian Rhapsody, but the emo millennial Bohemian Rhapsody. Because that song connects everyone on such a level even if they don't even like music a lot of people will hear that g note and then just instantly be taken back to the first time they heard that song and felt the magic and by the time oh gosh i feel so corny right now i'm getting all emotional but by the time the music video is over and by the time the song is over there's just like this sense of catharsis that i that that is unparalleled there's just mm-hmm. nothing like it and as as much as people love to shit on mcr because they're feminine and emo and weird and whatever they people hate on bands because bands are popular and that song connected a whole generation of people especially like lgbtq people and young girls and young boys and it did so much for the people who needed it that I don't think that there's been any song like it since Bohemian Rhapsody. And I I haven't heard a song on par with it since that song in, in just the way that it's so universal and connects people so much to that, to that time. But yeah, anyway, so <laughs> moving on from Black Parade, uh, Conventional Weapons, because that's the next album in the chronological order of their records. <laughs> so what's your favorite song off of Conventional Weapons? The World is Ugly. Yeah. Definitely that song. Yeah. Makes me emotional. It's, 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 yeah, it, it, it's a song that's, I've used to keep going sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's that. It's just the most simple thing. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get through an MCR episode without tearing up a little bit, but there's, it's a super emotional song. A lot of their stuff is all of it. Cause it's Gerard. We're literally yeah. talking about emo here. Even <laughs> the, It's not, that's a whole other conversation. They wanted to be a punk band. The world called them emo. It was the same thing that happened with Nirvana. Like they just wanted to be a punk band. The world called them grunge. They don't sound like any other grunge bands, but that's a whole other show. It's a whole other podcast. That's <laughs> a whole other show. But anyway, uh, the world is ugly has that lyric. The world is ugly, but you're beautiful to me. 
And whether you're talking about a romantic relationship or just talking about like how, especially like trans people clinging onto that song and like queer people in general, just that song is so important because it's like, it's not, you are not the problem in this situation. Like you existing as the way that you are in the way that you are is perfect and no one, you don't have to answer to anybody about that. It's the world that's ugly. If people are mean to you because of the way you look or the way you dress or how you identify or who you're in, or who you love, that's not your fault or your issue has nothing to do with you. It's the fact that this world is ugly and mean and people can just be unnecessarily cruel sometimes, but that's okay because you're beautiful to me. And just hearing someone say the world is ugly, but you're beautiful to me is that's got me through a thing or two uh, before, too. I think, yeah, I'm going to have to agree and say that's my favorite song on that record, too. And uh, full disclosure, uh, we we didn't want to dig too far into this because we I want to keep it professional <laughs> with this podcast. But Nova and I are in love. <laughs> you and I live together. We are partners. And that song is our. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so that just that makes me happy. And I'm just I'm so happy that we could talk about that record in particular and that song just because it's there's so much to love. And the last one, Danger Days. What's your favorite song from Danger Days if you can pick one? Oh no. See, every time I pick a favorite song from these albums, I feel like I've forsaken the rest of them. They're all just what do, do, do I not exist to you anymore? And that's not the case. Like I love <laughs> I love like literally every song that they've released. Vampire Money, Danger Days. Oh, such a fun song. Yeah, it's a really fun song. If they would only play probably one song off of Danger Days, I'd love that one. Yeah, that's a, that's a good song. It's a fun song. Definitely poking fun at vampires, and I'm, I'm here for it because I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I got so many from that record. I love that song, though. Uh, so background information on Vampire Money. Vampire Money is a song written about how much like the Twilight people annoyed the fuck out of MCR to try to get them to do a song for the Twilight Saga. And Gerard was like, no, we don't want your goddamn Vampire Money. <laughs> like, Instead, they did a song for Yo Gabba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was so cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember when Vampire Money came out and I read the lyrics. I was like, oh, this is like totally them shitting on, on Twilight. <laughs> and it was. And it's so funny. And the reference is a little dated at this point. It's just it's fun to look back on. But I got to say, as much as it hurts to listen to it, ah, Gosh, all the feels. This is such a feels trip, this podcast Mm -hmm. episode. But my favorite song on Danger Days is The Kids from Yesterday. Ah, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, and uh, I remember hearing that the first time and uh, I remember uh, there was a girl that made, there was a fan who put together a bunch of video footage and made a fan video of them performing that song and they loved it so much that they did some minor edits to it and created and they used it they like did some minor tweaks to it and made it the video for that song yeah and it's so fitting it's so fitting for what the song is 
you know? Yeah. (laughs) And I remember reading the comments on that video and one of them was like, why does it feel like they're saying goodbye? And I was just thinking to myself, ah, probably because they are. And then, and then a little while later, they broke up and it just, it sucked mm-hmm. so much. But now they're back. They are back. They are. They are back. I didn't and believe we are gonna... it at first. <laughs> but I remember the kids from yesterday was just such a moving, beautiful song. And the, that lyric of, uh, you only live forever in the lights you make. Mm-hmm. And uh I, I love that because that is that lyric in particular has inspired me to like constantly continue to make art because like you die three times. You die the first time when your body gives, the second time when someone says your work, your name for the last time, and the third time when someone thinks about you for the last time. And so all that you are going to be remembered by is what you create and what you bring to the world and how you've impacted people's lives around you. And so long after I'm gone, I hope that the art that I make can have a glimmer of the impact that MCR has on their fans. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's that song always just hits me in the feels, but I I'm so happy that it exists because it's just it's a much needed punch in the gut at the very almost at the end of the record if i am vampire money keeps it fun right afterwards it's a good it's a good way to close a chapter of your life and that's how they went out was that Mm -hmm. was the last music video they put out before they broke up for a while but yeah anyway uh, that was the lyric it's better to burn out than to fade away they just yeah. they definitely did that. That was a Def Leppard lyric. <laughs> was it? Okay. That's yeah, cool. At the beginning of uh, Rock of Ages is like, dan, dan. Yeah. <laughs> That's and funny. then I remember in the uh, video that they made for Kids from Yesterday, they, there was that thing at the end where it was like, the future is bulletproof. The aftermath is secondary. Art is the weapon. Mm-hmm. When, when the world says you can't do what you want to do, MCR says start a fucking band. Mm-hmm. And I'm paraphrasing that last bit, but I always thought that was so cool. And just seeing that made me want to make music more than anything else really ever wanted me, (laughs) made me want to make music, I think so. But anyway, yeah, that's, that's our episode, folks. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with us uh, on this journey through comic books and, and art and MCR, the greatest rock and roll punk band, emo punk band, pop punk band, whatever you want to call them. They're an incredible band. <laughs> Nova, uh, <laughs> thank you so much for being a part of Fanatomy. I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to do this. Uh, stick around for the green room, everyone. But anyway, Nova, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, letting me talk about comic books and my chemical romance. That was exciting. <laughs> of course, you needed a place to do it. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy that <laughs> this is the place. But anyway, thanks y'all for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day, whether it's nine in the morning when you're listening to this or 11 at night. I hope that you know that you are loved and you are perfect and you are valid and you are necessary. So please continue breathing and please continue creating. Stay safe. We love you. Have a good day. <laughs>
That was such a fun conversation. I, I'm just, I usually say something like, I'm so glad that they wanted to do it, but it's just, it's just different whenever it's your romantic partner. I don't know. It's cute. I, I don't, I don't know how many podcasts I've heard where the host interviews their actual partner. <laughs> So I just wanted to do that. And I know that they really love my chemical romance and Gerard Way and just everything about him as like a gender nonconforming person and as a as an artist, as a person who's like really into comic books. And I love everything about MCR too. And it was just really wonderful to get to hear Nova talk about them and show me details that I didn't even really fully know. Yeah, this was a lot of fun and we just we could have talked about my chemical romance all day dude like it could have gone as long as we wanted it to but eventually all good things got to come to an end and uh, we decided that a good hour or so <laughs> was good enough so i hope y'all enjoy this conversation and I, I i hope that everybody who hasn't listened to conventional weapons by my chemical romance goes and does that because is the it, it because it's the most criminally underrated album that they ever made and uh, you'll really regret it if you don't listen to it because it's amazing i don't know if you'll regret it if you don't listen to it because you don't know what you're missing out on but i will tell you that if you listen to it you will definitely not regret it because it is the shit and it's definitely i don't know if it's my favorite my chemical romance record but it's a really damn good one and it's so underrated but anyway I'm going to get out of here. I'll see y'all in a couple weeks with another episode of Fanatomy. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting the show. Please, if you can, share this on social media. Tell everybody about it. Leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out The Green Room on our Patreon and get some merch there if you want. Yeah, that's it for this episode. My name is Adrian Ash, and this is Fanatomy. Yeah!